This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, it says here that it's Thursday, December the 29th, so I've got no reason to argue with producer guy's logic or maths. Uh, how's, how's your Christmas going so far in the five minutes since we last spoke? <laughs> well, I'm, I've, I've, uh, I've not put on any more weight, which is about the only positive I think I can say. Oh, that's good. It gets to that stage. You're like me. You have to book half an hour in the toilet on Boxing Day these days. It's just <laughs> that never used to happen in the old days. The cat's having a nice Christmas. Um, it's it's normally news day uh, for our lovely listeners um, who may have worked out that in the five minutes since between recording the last one and recording this one, I've refilled my wine glass. Um, and had a sneaky Baileys while I did it. It's Christmas, Kieran. Apple pie Baileys. Wow, oh my God. That's a, an addition to the list. Um, so we're not doing news today. We're doing questions. And I can't stress enough, any Everton fans listening, Kieran, this first question is a question. This is not necessarily the opinion of Mr. Kieran Maguire or Mr. Kevin Day. <laughs> I, I cannot answer for Mr. Producer Guy because producer guy may uh, share these views. But this is a question from Toby Gray. Uh, we do have his email address and probably his Twitter handle, but you're not getting it, Everton fans. Toby Gray's question is this. How is it that no one at the Premier League has had the guts to twig that Everton are clearly mugging off the Premier League's <laughs> profit and sustainability rules by claiming £170 million of their accumulated losses were down to COVID? Surely they are just using COVID as a get-out clause to cover the fact they made an absolute mess of their finances. This is um, a sentiment that is shared by other football fans, Kieran. I think we we agree, mm. not necessarily as strongly as Toby. And we we have we have discussed it, but I mean, certainly towards the end of last season, one or two of the clubs that got relegated were making dark noises, weren't they? Dark mutterings about legal action against certain clubs in the Premier League and Everton was certainly one of them. So it's an interesting one to discuss. Yes, uh, when when the last matches of the, the 21-22 season took place, there was some form of entente cordiale between Burnley and Leeds yeah. that if either of those clubs went down and Everton didn't, they were going to join forces and uh, put in a, a joint claim against uh, Everton. Um, as, as Leeds stayed up, they sort of said, eh, well, we're not, we've said Entente Cordial. We were, didn't really mean it. Um, so, so Burnley were relegated and Everton, of course, stayed up, uh, as did Leeds. Um, now, looking at the numbers for Everton, um, in the accounts for the three years to the the end of uh, 2021, 
Everton lost £372 million. Um, you're only allowed to lose £105 million, uh, before you're in breach of financial fair play or profitability and sustainability rules. So, so clearly that, that is uh, a significant gap. The Premier League have made some adjustments and also the Premier League have said that um, they would allow clubs to uh, put through special allowances um, in acknowledgement of of the impact of COVID, and that's right and proper. You know, the purpose of of these rules is is not to um, just for the sheer joy of it um, have fines and other sanctions and points deductions. No, no, nobody wants that in football. Um, you know, what, I'm a great believer is that you know, what happens on the pitch stays on the pitch in terms of, of points won, won and lost. Mm. Um, so. There, there has been a lot of head scratching, especially when you take a look at the accounts prepared by other clubs who have been putting in for you know, perhaps 40 or 50 million pounds worth of um, lost revenues from, from ticket sales. Um, but but Everton, Everton only normally make in uh, probably about 14 to 15 million pounds in, uh, in ticket sales at Goodison. Uh, you know, it's, a, it, it, it's a grand old stadium, but it's not a, uh, uh, it's not a prawn sandwich friendly stadium. Um, in the sense that it is, it is very traditional, and the, the number of hospitality boxes is therefore uh, limited as a result. Um, so Ev- Everton came out with this. Uh, yeah, we, we, you know, we, we spent. Yeah, you know, we, we suffered about 170 million pounds due to COVID. Well, it's it's not due to a lack of ticket sales. And they're just going to say, well, well, yeah, but uh, yeah, impact on the transfer market that's cost us big. And you go, well, well, hold on, um, you know. Even if we weren't in a COVID environment, would there have been a long queue of clubs wanting to pay big fees for Theo Walcott or Czech Tosin? Didn't did he end up on loan at your place? Or was that Solomon Rondo? I've lost track as to Czech Tosin, uh, Czech Tosin's whereabouts. Uh, no, Czech Tosin refused. We tried to sign him before he went to Everton and he refused, saying he wanted to join a big club. Okay. Um, yeah, so when he did turn up at Sellers Park on the bench for Everton, you can imagine how well he was received. <laughs> yes, I, I can. Um, you know, and and those players cost you know significant sums of money. Um, yeah, you know, we're talking sort of you know twenty million pounds plus. Um, and I think it's fair to say that they they, they didn't sparkle um, at Everton, but Everton said, "Well, we couldn't sell them and, and get our money back because because of of COVID." Um, and they, they've, they've held that line um, ever since. Now, we don't know what the Premier League's uh, response to this is. Um, the, the Premier League is, you know, it doesn't, doesn't reply to anything. Uh, it it does, doesn't like talking about these things. We know that uh, there is an ongoing investigation into Manchester City. Um, but we only know that from Manchester City's accounts. We don't know that from any confirmation um, explicitly by the Premier League itself. So they they could be um, investigating Everton's uh, figures, or or they might not be. Um, and, and my money is that I think everybody's just tried to forget about COVID. Um, I think even Burnley might have given up on this particular issue. There was mm. there's there's been no indication um, over the course of the last six months that there's any uh, any uh, a further attempt to uh, get some form of compensation, having been relegated from the Premier League 
on, on the back of, of Everton spending a lot of money. So it, it's it's a weird one. Um, you know, un, unless the, the Premier League is going to turn around in six months and go surprise, um, we've got a, we've got an investigation, and this is this is the result of it. Um, I, I think it's very difficult to work out where Everton got 170 million pounds worth of COVID-related costs, um, uh, and they. I think it's fair to say that they they don't have the best of relationships with with journalists. Um, you and I both know journalists who have who have asked questions and have been uh, not given the the replies that they felt were appropriate. So yeah, it's it's a funny one. Short shrift, I think, is the phrase you were looking for there, Kieran. Short. <laughs> yes. um, the Premier League's interest, because like you say, I know as you do a couple of the, the proper serious uh, broadsheet journalists. Uh, and a couple of the proper serious tabloid ones, I have to say. Plus, I also know senior journalists at the BBC, and I know how difficult it is even for them to get answers from the Premier League. So the idea of them uh, reading an email from producer Guy, let alone responding <laughs> to it, a <laughs> vague request to come on a pod. Any, normally, yeah, Wednesday morning we normally do it. If somebody wants to come on, anyone, doesn't matter. So we just want to talk about Everton and whether you're suing them or not. That's fine. Okay. All right, then we'll get back to you. Bye-bye. Um, our next question is about Derby, and it's an angle of Derby I don't think we covered, Kieran, despite the fact that we spoke about them at great length for much of, of the year that's about to end, I think, because I've lost track mm. of whether we're – we're still this year with this pod, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes. Um, and the question comes from Andrew Woodman. I hope you had a nice Christmas. I'm going to have a nice Christmas, New Year, etc. Andrew Woodman says, as Mel Morris was Derby County's largest creditor, that gave him the power to vote down a company voluntary arrangement, or CVA. Together with his decision not to put the stadium into administration, that meant he was able to effectively pick and choose the new owner. Is it possible for the EFL to institute rules to ensure that a former owner cannot have this level of influence over the decision of a preferred creditor and new owner. Yeah, I think this is a a, a corking question from Andrew. Uh, mm. I think I know Andrew from uh, social media. I think it's fair to say he's uh, he's he's not a member of the Mel Morris fan club. Um, but uh, in respect of the the EFL's position, um, the EFL are certainly, in my view, trying to tighten up the rules so yeah is, is this an element of stable door horse boat bolted um in respect of derby county it is in respect of the next owner um that that tries to do something similar i, I think the efl are trying to uh, change their constitution in in such a way as to make it more difficult so um was mel morris uh, in a position to uh, dictate the choice of Quantumar uh, in terms of preferred bidder and, and the final sale of the club. Um, possibly, I, I, I'll, I'll use that word uh, circumspectly. Um, certainly, I was aware uh, from talking to people connected to uh, a, another former owner of a Premier League club who may have been interested in buying Derby County, that he was very keen and he was getting uh, effectively two fingers from uh, the uh, from, from the administrators and, and couldn't quite understand why. Um, and that that did seem very strange. And also the behaviour of, of Quantumar 
sort of during the course of the administration in which they were critical of the EFL, they were critical of other football clubs, Middlesbrough and Wigan Wanderers in particular. They were critical of COVID. They said all, all these contributory factors. Um, uh, they, they, they were noticeably silent in respect of saying anything negative about Mel Morris. And uh, Mel, Mel Morris lost a lot of money in, in Derby County. There, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, the quality of his decision making um, could be. Uh, could, could be called into question, um, although he will point out you know, they were 90 minutes away from the Premier League, in which case he would be a hero rather than a zero. Um, but I, I think the EFL, going back to the question, Andrew, um, will be looking to tighten up these rules. Um, I think the EFL is more progressive um, than it was um, under, uh, under, under previous senior executives. I'll say no more than that. Um, and, and therefore, the... Hopefully, the chances of this happening again will be diminished uh, because there's still an awful lot of unanswered questions with regards to um, the uh, activities of the club during the uh, during the administration. You know why certain people were kept on in their jobs, um, why uh, why HMRC agreed to a seventy five percent pay cut haircut. Um, uh, and so on, whereas other people got paid in full. So all very mysterious. Um, I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I don't think you need to be circumspect, Kira. A, a, a bloke I know in a pub told me recently that legally you can say anything you want between Christmas and New Year. Ah. Uh, I don't know where he got that information from. But us, you know, he's, he's an ex-lawyer. Probably, probably a bloke in another pub. Possibly, yeah. And um, yeah. Also, I went to uh, I went to a rather lovely carol service uh, on the Sunday before Christmas, i.e., two days ago. Uh, <laughs> and a chap uh, sidled up to me and said, uh, "Thank you so much for everything you did for Derby County. I'm a big Derby fan, home and away." And uh, it was great that you you kept us in the spotlight, and isn't it brilliant? Things were going are going well for us finally. And then he he said something really really rude about Chris Kirchner, really really rude. And I said, mate, I, I I don't think you should say that. And he went, oh, why not? I said, well, a we're in church, uh, <laughs> and b a seven year old boy has just started singing once in Royal David City. So uh, that, that's the reason a lot of people have turned around to stare at us and are tutting rather loudly. Uh, Lee Quinn has our next question. I'm tempted to say at Christmas, Kieran, when it's strictly time, that I'm going to call him C. Quinn. That I don't know how hard he is. He might be, he might be a big tough chap, so I'm not going to do that. Um, Lee Quinn says, I love the pod. It makes the dog walk much quicker. Uh, I'm not sure how hey. that works. I, uh, yeah, I'm not entirely sure whether he just has a jaunty step when he's listening to it or whether he wants to get home to listen to it. Oh, sorry. I read it. It made the dog walk much quicker. Oh. oh, it's, oh it's, Which oh. I thought, blimey, it doesn't have any impact on Finlay. It could be that. It makes the dog walk. Oh, oh, now I've got the image of a dog with headphones on, walking really quickly to try and get the noise out of his ears. Um, <laughs> as John Barnes once said, yeah, I think I've, I don't know if I told you this. I'll share it with no. you on Christmas. Yeah, Mark, you, Mark Webster, who you know him, my friend Mark Webster. Yeah, oh, yes, uh, yes. Uh, even more cockney, if possible, than Ray Winston, and uh, just as loud. Uh, Mark, no microphone Webster, as we call him. Um, <laughs> he and I used to host a show called Live and Dangerous on, on Channel 5 twice a week. Uh, it was still recognised by security guards because it went out about 1 o'clock in the morning. 
<laughs> we were we were replaced by John Barnes, who is who is one of the nicest people you've ever met. John Barnes is politically spot on, and he's a very generous, warm-hearted chap. But he was very new to broadcasting, and the show was live. And Mark and I used to get together and watch it just to see. You could tell when John Barnes had the producer and director talking to him in his ear because he would turn his head away from the noise. So he would, <laughs> he would do half his show with his left ear on his left shoulder to try and get away from the noise that was coming into his right ear, which used to make me laugh a lot. Uh, I can't even remember the context of that. Oh, yeah, Lee Quinn and a dog listening to our pod on the beach. Lee says, I collect football shirts, and Hummel are one of my favourite brands with their approach to making football shirts personal to the club, which has definitely been the case in my hometown club of Coventry City. Um, after five years of template Nike shirts, Hummel came in and took the supporters by storm with a throwback to their own 1988 Coventry shirt. For this season, the home shirt is another beautiful modern throwback of the Admiral design in the 70s. My question is, are there any implications or agreements to be made before doing a throwback of a shirt that was not originally made by Hummel or another manufacturer? This is the difference between stealing and being inspired by Ah, something. So I think you've got to be very, very careful and... Um, yeah, I've I've seen the um, you know the I remember the old Coventry shirt. I remember the chocolate brown away version. With the, well, yeah, the one with the tea on. You mean yeah, yeah, the chocolate brown. The, the home one was one of the nicest kits ever. Yeah, the, the away one was an abomination. That's the season, of course. They tried to pretend it wasn't. The tea didn't stand for Talbot, who was their sponsors, didn't they? That's right. Yeah. Yes. Um. So so here I, here I go to Ed Sheeran for advice. Which which we don't often say on on the podcast. Um, And and as you're aware, uh, Ed Sheeran was uh, recently sued by another musician for for stealing stealing the tune to to a song. Um, And and it it went, I think it went as far as the High Court, and and Ed Sheeran came out of it, um, uh, you know, successfully defended his position. But as he said, that there's a limited number of notes and there's a limited number and uh, therefore there's a limited number of you know, chords that can be put together. So therefore there's, there's always going to be some potential crossover. Yeah. And, and this is the same with, with football shirts. So um, I, I think uh, manufacturers are quite clever in the sense that they can uh, put a proportion of the design into a new shirt and say yes with a you know with a nod to our 1988 shirt and so on um without uh, yeah if you're not using the admiral uh symbols and if you're not using uh you know, the, the the exact colorways then you will successfully defend your position so 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 that's that's where we are um it's it, it's got to be it's got to be close to uh, in order to get the affection of the fans but sufficiently far away from the original design that you can't be sued for for breach of copyright or intellectual property position um so so that's that's my understanding of the the position um although um i don't think there'll be many coventry city shirts opened up on christmas day or will have been opened up on christmas day because sadly um hummel uh, have closed down the uh, the coventry city shop as a result of mm. of elite sports going into administration and that has that's impacted upon many clubs uh, at what is a, a peak time of of uh, of selling uh, for for them you, you're in the last pod we did kieran um 
you mentioned your friend Phil, Phil Shelley, who we had a question from about the economics of football kits. Hmm. And you said he was an expert on, on football kits. It'd be quite interesting to ask him what the actual rules are around the copywriting of football kit design because it's something I've been looking into for quite some time and no one seems to be able to actually fully agree on, on, on how you do it because, you know, if a club's traditionally worn red or blue stripes or blue and white stripes or all white, it, it seems it's very difficult for a kit manufacturer to say, well, actually, we own the the rights to that particular design. So I would be interested, Kieran, perhaps you could ask Phil if he's got an answer to that question or if anybody listening has got an answer to that question, we'd be interested in hearing because, you know, we, we, we like to share. This is an organic process, this pod, Kieran. Yes, we, it is. Yeah. We, listen, we listen to you as much as you listen to – well, we don't listen to you as much as you listen to us, obviously, because luckily you listen to us for about two hours a week, which is brilliant. Um, Kieran hasn't got the time between spreadsheets to listen to you for two hours a week. Have you, Kieran? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm, The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com. We make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Mike McLean has um, hopefully a simple question. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, Mike, and a Happy New Year. Can you clear up the situation, please, when a manager gets sacked with, say, three years left of his contract? I presume that he or she gets paid the remaining balance, typically. But what is a typical practice if they get a job with another club during that three-year period? I heard a rumour that that means the previous club is then off the hook. Um, possibly. Um, it, 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 does, it does very much vary. Um, from contract to contract. So uh, I think when Spurs sacked Pochettino, he had effectively 12 months of, of pay coming to him. And and therefore, he the, the, the nature of the contract could have been, because ultimately it's, it's, a, it's a private arrangement between uh, employee and employer. It could be that if you take up a job in that intervening period, then, then you're... Uh, then effectively your redundancy payments, uh, which are being paid on a monthly basis, they cease. So you might as well you know, go, go and see a bit of the world, put your feet up, um, because you're still getting a significant wedge from the club. And, 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 I, and I am aware, and I think I mentioned this before, um, that I, I when I used to teach uh, in Manchester, I, I knew a guy that was connected to a club, and he said that there is uh, there's one pretty well-known club, which I think had seven former managers still on the books, mainly because it couldn't afford to give them a full payoff in 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 terms of their contracts. So um, there, there is normally some form of cutoff. Uh, you know, if, if we look, take a look at what happened with David Moyes and, and Manchester United, I think David Moyes signed a six-year contract and he was sacked after 10 months. Um, and uh, the the nature of the, the the clauses in his contract was that if Manchester United failed to qualify for the Champions League in the first year in which he 
manage the club, then they only had to give him a 12-month payoff as opposed to the remainder of his contract or three years or something like that. And, And what happened was Manchester United lost a match on a Sunday, which meant that they couldn't qualify for the Champions League. And the following morning or the following afternoon, he was sacked. So it... Clubs clubs are very very aware of the potential cost, and and there will be clauses and subclauses um, in contracts which protect both the manager and the um, uh, and and the football club. Um, you know, perhaps perhaps we can you know we you know as, as it's highly unlikely the FA will ever speak to us. Um, perhaps I'll I'll approach the League Managers Association, and uh, perhaps we can get somebody from there to have a chat about yeah you know, how they they are effectively the trade union. Mm. For managers, um, and they and they do protect their members' interests. And you know, yeah, we've had Maheta on from the PFA. I think it'd be really good to, to you know to, to get the perspective um, from the manager's side because all of the talk is about the glamour end of the game and the money which is made there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware that that managers in in lower divisions are often working for for, for close to nothing, um, especially at the start of their careers, because. They're trying to get that foot on the ladder, and, and the clubs know this, um, and, and the clubs reflect this in in what they're prepared to pay for a for a new manager. And you know, if, if he's then successful, then you can quickly renegotiate the contract. I, I think that's a very good shout, Kieran. I'd love to get a manager onto the show, although just be careful who you ask, because there's a couple of ex Palace managers who probably wouldn't do it if they knew I was hosting it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Alan Pardew definitely wouldn't come on. Really, uh, Ian Holloway probably not. Neil Warnock no. Allardyce no. no. Steve Kemp oh no, so we go. Bert, if Bert, no, Bert Head's dead. He won't come on. Um, best to get a manager who doesn't manage Palace. Um, and I know, Kieran, we are between uh, Christmas and New Year. We are in the Twixtmas, if you like, or the Perineum, if you prefer, of the year. Uh, for those confused listeners, are thinking, I wonder who that big club in Manchester was that were paying off seven managers at the same time. I'm guessing it's Man City, Kieran, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I think it was. Um, Our penultimate question comes from, and I I really hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Um, I suspect if I'm not, it's the second name I'm getting wrong. But it comes from Somil Dave, uh, Somil Dave. Um, But again, this this is a really interesting question from Somil here, Kieran. And Somil says, in May I bought a Manchester United Premier premium membership pack for this season and at the checkout I was asked to pay either £5 extra if I was paying today via a card or pay a regular price if I chose to pay on the 2nd of June via direct debit. Considering the accounting year for Man United FC is the end of June, why would the club want to delay this payment and incentivise it? Does a direct debit count towards something or a future payment guarantee is looked at as a collateral? Would be able to shed some light on this please? It's, I, I I found this in a very odd situation, Kieran. Mm. Well, um, I don't know about you. I'm hopeless with direct debit, so I I, oh, I often <laughs> sign up for. Kieran, how long I, have I, been I sign up podcast? for subscriptions to things. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've had to every time I get stopped by somebody say, I say, mate, I'm not allowed any more direct debit. So I'd love to help. I really, I can give you a <laughs> yes. fiver, but that's really just. And I, I feel terrible because otherwise, I just. I just sign up. You know how long we've been doing this. You know how bad I am with direct debits. If you're bad with them, you're one of the country's leading accountancy teachers and football finance experts. We've got no hope, and and that's why they work. 
because yeah, yeah, you, you you get on the hook um, for them. So the the reason why um, and and the way that Manchester United will have uh, said this is that we'll give you a discount. Okay, so you're not paying more now. We give you a five pounds discount if you pay via direct debit. Um, then they've got your bank account details, uh, and okay. they can bombard you with with emails and and uh, uh, you know. And I, I I often sign up, especially around this time of year, for for Now TV to get the movies and get some of the you know the additional channels. Um, and that goes on your direct debit. And then I forget that. It, it, you know, I've got thirty days or two months worth at two pounds a month, and then and and, and even if you end up just paying you know an extra month's worth, you go, oh, you know, man alive, yeah, I really. Uh, so, so so that's why um, that that's why clubs do it, and and I'm 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 being no more critical here of Manchester United than I am of any other organisation. Personally, if there was an independent regulator in football, <laughs> I would encourage them to insist that that clubs uh, contact fans before direct debits are up for renewal and, and i just think that's good business practice mm. um for for consumers not necessarily for the clubs themselves as far as the finances of the club is concerned there's there's two issues here first of all there's the issue of cash flow um and um you know as far as manchester united were concerned um you know whether the money went in or may or june it would have been received by the 30th of June, which is Manchester United's year in. So therefore, you know, the money's in the accounts. Secondly, um, if if this uh, if this membership scheme is for the 22-23 season and uh, so, so Neil, uh bought it in May 23 or June 23, um, this is what's referred to as deferred revenue. Uh, and it's where you pay for something in advance. If you think about when you when you when you book a hotel, when you book concerts concert tickets, when you when you book a flight, you pay for the you pay for the product in advance, um, but you you haven't received anything in terms of the product or service at that date. So so what you have to do from a financial point of view is that you can't treat it as income until the following season. So Sumil's. Um, membership pack was for 22-23 and Manchester United would not be allowed to treat it as revenue until they published their 22-23 account. So it would have it would have no impact upon profits um, in, in the year in which he actually paid for it. Instead, what you have to do, you effectively have to say, well, you know, I'm the consumer and, and I'm 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 loaning money to the football club, and, th- and that's what we do. Yeah, if, if you just went bought you bought you your Glastonbury tickets um, recently for next year, um, you know you, you're paying eight months in advance. What you are actually doing, you're you are lending money to the organisers, and they have to actually show that as a as a form of loan in, in what we call deferred revenue. So it has no impact on the accounts as such. You know, on your on your TV and your your Sky package or your BT package or whatever provider you have, there's a, a way of locking it so children can't access certain channels. Ali's trying to find a oh, way yes. of locking it, so I no I, not not that sort of channel. But just she, she just knows it every now and again. She'll go to bed and then we'll wake up in the morning, and I'll have forgotten. But I've just added two extra channels because I wanted to watch a film. Two. <laughs> Two days ago, Sunday, day of the World Cup final, in fact, the evening of the World Cup final, I noticed that there was a Tom and Jerry version of the Nutcracker. Now, oh wow, I love, I love oh. Tom and Jerry. I love Tom and Jerry. Yeah, yeah. And I love the Nutcracker. And I thought, oh, brilliant! I'm going to watch that. But it says you have to upgrade your package uh, to watch this. Mm-hmm. 
And luckily, Ali was in the room and she wrestled the remote off me because <laughs> it, it just didn't occur to me not to upgrade my package. Just as she went, it's going to cost us another 10 quid a month. I said, I know, but I really want to watch Tom and Jerry do the, the nutcracker. She said, you can imagine it. I said, I can't. I, I still regret the fact. I will watch it, Kieran. It might be in April or May. She'll have to go on tour again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Our final question comes from Andy Cook. Um, I, I'm not the most observant person in the world, Kieran, but I've worked out what producer guy's doing with these Christmas and New Year's pods. He's ending <laughs> every pod with a question about football shirts just so it leads in nicely to us talking about our first ever Price of Football replica shirt. Andy's question, which made me, last bit of which made me laugh a lot, uh, is this. Andy says, do the players wear the same shirts that are sold in retail outlets? For example, are the materials and size options the same? I swear that back in the early 80s, the retail replica shirts were polyester nylon and the player shirts were made of different material, possibly silk. <laughs> no, I did, you, you know my view, Kieran. I, I, I regularly discuss the fact that Brighton are an upmarket club whose fans feast on things. Even I, even I couldn't bring myself to say, yeah, that would be Brighton. You'd have had silk shirts, wouldn't you, back in the day, top hats. I think, Andy, uh, that's probably your imagination. I can't imagine any club wearing silk shirts back in the day. Uh, but it is an interesting question. And again, it comes back to the f- notion that we are asked questions about kits all the time. Yes. Um, so once again, I went to my good mate, Phil Shelley, yeah. um, in respect of this. And uh, you know, Phil told me that the, the player specification shirts um, are cut – uh, more, should we say, more athletically yeah. than yeah, than yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah, I I don't think there's too many two XLs yeah. uh, worn in the Premier League <laughs> for, for, for one or two reasons. Neil Shipley, and, I can think of Neil Shipley and Razor Ruddock, probably about the true. only two. <laughs> yes. Um, so you know, they're, they're they're tighter and and they're shaped to the players' bodies, and that's actually quite useful because yeah. we we see shirts being pulled. And there's there's less to pull if you get it shaped to the body. Um, so I, I think from what Phil said, he, he thinks that they're still in sort of fairly standard sizes, but some players do modify their shirts. They they might cut off the sleeve trim. They might cut off the collar. Some people, some players don't like collars. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some of them will also make uh, make adjustments to their shorts, and some of them will trim their shorts. So um, I think Traore at Wolves, for example, if you look at him, yeah, that lad has got you know, pretty impressive thighs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, um, and I, I know, uh, I, th- I think at, at Brighton a couple of seasons ago, uh, the, the goalkeepers didn't like the collars um, oh, okay. on, on their shirts. So, so that so somebody I don't know whether it was but I don't know if it was somebody at Nike or somebody at the club or somebody connected to the player um, ended up sewing down the collars on the mm. shirts so as to not irritate the player, not irritate the goalkeepers yeah. during the match. So, I think players do take these things very seriously. Uh, you're both from a uh, from a fashion point of view, uh, you know, in terms of wanting to present themselves as much as possible, and also, you know, and and you know, we we can we, we can uh, josh about this, but um, you know, th- there is this constant concept of of marginal gains, and and if 
if you're going oh, that that bloody shirt's yeah really getting on my on on my nerves uh, if you can if you can get rid of that thought then then you know it it could make yeah one okay. difference in one cross save or or one tip round the corner over the course of the season which could be worth a lot of money to you know, the club yeah, well, players. I know we know from experience they're always muck, boots, especially they're always oh yeah muck about with. Um, a friend of mine works in the club shop at Palace, and he's he said he loves his job. He's a big Palace fan, but he says by far the hardest part of the job is trying to persuade people buying the shirts to buy the next size up. He says it's it's heartbreaking when somebody our age says, "Oh, I'll have the athletic fit." <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it is it for you, sir, or is it for a professional footballer? No, it's for me. Well, these are these are cut quite small. This manufacturer, maybe you should, maybe you should go up for a. Oh, your mate Phil Shelley, by the way, he's not. It wouldn't have to be Pete Shelley's brother, by any chance, would he? Just uh, sad. No, 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 no. no, no. Phil that, is, is Phil is not. Uh, uh, no, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Buzzcocks, of course. And um, the first ever Price of Football replica shirt is now available to pre-order. And once you own it, you can do what you want with it. You can cut the sleeves off. You can turn the badge around. You can iron it whatever way you want. They're available in adults and kids' sizes, and all the profits will go to gambling with lives. You can find the link to our online shop by going to priceoffootball.com or our social media pages or the description of this episode in your podcast app. The pre-order period will end at 5 p.m. tomorrow. I said, it says this block, producer guys put block capitals. Tomorrow, Friday, December the 30th, so get yours ordered now. Or, as I would have put it, Kieran, and, and as you would have put it, please order yours now rather than get well, yours. What's order. the difference between capitals and block capitals? Uh, well, how long have you? None. As far as I know, there may be printers out there who are listening to this. I believe block capitals are the same as capitals, just block. It, it was the size of the block that the letter was on, was why okay. it's called block capitals, I believe. But um, there's a lot of things that I believe that I pass off as genuine information. Uh, it's, it's the same as when we do the FYP pod, the Palace pod. If I say about any transfer rumour or anything that's going on in the club, my understanding is they know I don't know anything about it, but I just can't admit that I don't know anything about it. So I pretend that I've got some inside information, but going, well, my understanding is. So when I say, when I, whenever I say I believe, although... And, you know, normally, I was watching uh, Christmas Carol film with with Ali yesterday and and Molly, my sort of daughter. Uh, they were fascinated by the sort of details I was giving them about various things in Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. So, uh, for example, those of you who like the, the Christmas Carol, at the end when Scrooge um, asks the little boy outside the window to go and buy the the turkey in this shop down the road, the one as big as him, uh, the boy goes Walker. Uh, the reason the boy does that is because Walker was a, a, an early Victorian clown and comedian who used specialised in telling exaggerated stories of his achievements. So whenever anyone uh, exaggerated, they would be called a Walker. So there you are. Take, well, you can well. take that away with you for Christmas. Um, <laughs> thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution as well, that's very kind of you. Go to patreon.com price of football. If you have a question you'd like answers on the show, you can email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And we shall be back with you next year. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, uh, thank you to everybody at Patreon for supporting us. 
um, during 2022. That, that's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is, is going onto your podcast app and, and giving us a review. That'd be all cool. Um, and people say, why, why are we doing these shows uh, between Christmas and New Year? And, and I'll be honest, it's because we, we know that myself and Kevin, we've got our families around for Christmas and you know, we'll be having a quick, a jolly time and not everybody's having such a great time. So, um, you know, we know a lot of you sort of like fell into the habit of listening to the show. And for this, this show really goes out for all of you that aren't having too great a time, perhaps by yourselves, uh, yeah, whilst everybody else is, is celebrating. And just to let you know, we're there for you too. We are. We're proud to be your friends. Um, also, occasionally, I have to say, over Christmas and New Year, the Baroness and Ali will be saying, why aren't you doing a pod? So we've done them already. <laughs> yes. go, oh, have you? Damn. <laughs> I was looking forward to an hour off. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, and as Kieran says, um, we hope we can uh, be your friend and some company for you. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.